There's another squad attacking. Welcome to the third party in Apex Legends podcast hosted by myself, Shay, and joined as always by my co-host, Henry. Henry, how's the day treating you? The day is going really well. I'm really excited about this episode. You know, last week we talked arenas and it went so long we had to make part two. Yep. So there's a lot to talk about. It's going to be a good one. This episode is sponsored by Liquid Death, and today we are diving into part two of our arena's guide with maps, weapons, and strategies, as well as some key mid-round decisions. Before we do any of that, though, make sure you join our Discord community to chat Apex, the third party, and find squad mates. Links in the description. Follow us on Twitch at Third Party Pod. We stream Mondays and Wednesdays, 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. PST. I would love for you to come say hi on our trip to partner. This Saturday, though, we are hosting a subathon on Twitch and are just so, so excited to stream an extra five minutes per sub. Could be a while. We'll see. Uh, let's see how long we can stay in the chair and drink our water and play some Apex this Saturday and maybe into Sunday if you guys get wild. We will see. I think we might be ordering a pizza, mm-hmm. but uh, we'll see. Don't want to get too too excited, but I'm definitely pumped. If you'd like to help support the podcast and continue to grow our amazing community, please consider joining our Patreon. Right now, we're running an offer for all patrons to be featured on our Twitch overlay. You can also receive up to four bonus episodes per month, exclusive merch, signed replica weapons, gaming sessions with us, and much, much more. It truly means the world to us to see how much support we've received. And if we reach our next goal, we'll be launching a live video podcast. Man, I'm nervous for that. I don't, we can't edit out our mistakes if we do it live. No, sir. <laughs> we yeah. got to keep it pure. We've mistakes never made a mistake, be... actually. Never. True. True. True fact. Let's dive into the news, though. First piece of news. You can now unlock community-created loading screens through Twitch Drops. Over the next six weeks, six different loading screens will be available Check out the at Play Apex Twitter for who to watch to receive the drops. What are your thoughts on this kind of community interaction with in-game content? It's super, super awesome. I mean, the fan art in Apex, I think, is some of the best around. And so just the idea of this getting integrated into the game as a loading screen, so, so cool. And I think that it's going to be a great way to not only help uh, you know, bring artists in the spotlight, but also help streamers. Like mm-hmm, it's a win, mm-hmm. win, win. Everybody, this is a everybody's dub. happy. It's going to be so cool. I'm so excited to see all the artwork. The community absolutely kills it on the art. If you follow our Instagram, you guys know, like we post all the fan art that we can, and it's just such an integral part of the community. Super excited to see it kind of uh, maybe reach the masses that it deserves through game. Yeah, no doubt. Next piece of news, Golden Gardens is in rotation for arenas now as the BR map replacing Thermal Station. We're going to talk about this later when we talk maps, so we don't need to talk too much about it, but it's in the news segment. Next piece of news, 5-2721, patch went live. We got a couple things to talk about. Fixes are coming to Nintendo Switch version of Apex. There was just some bugs that rolled out. Uh, we got some Valk changes, though. Hovering while using Valk's tactical now consumes the same amount of fuel compared to not using her tactical. This is a balance change meant to address Valkyrie players staying out of the fight for extended periods of time in the late game circles. Have you felt this at all as a Valk player? That uh, you are? Not so much, um, but I think this is a good change. I think that it's kind of aimed at patrolling those uh, those end rings where you can kind of manipulate mm-hmm. the of mechanics based around the tactical tactical um but i will say that what i don't like about valk is that she slows down so much when you use the tactical Mm midair like it's almost better to use the tactical on the ground sometimes Mm -hmm. just because you're really exposed when you kind of freeze in the air for a couple seconds it definitely puts you in a predicament to say the least so yeah you could definitely look at it as a positive i think this really just comes out though with ALGS coming up as well and there were some pretty interesting uh, clips of endgame Valkyrie plays with the tactical just staying up there for a long time and the last thing this patch did was fix arena issues uh, that was not tracking the correct number of wins so your win streak wasn't saving this is what our second 
mid-season patch update that we've gotten so far, which is yeah. kind of a cool thing to see the game, you know, start implementing, fixing things that uh, people seem to bring a voice to on social media right now. Yeah, I think this is the outcome of just a continually growing team. Uh, mm-hmm. I think the balance team is expanding and working really harder than ever uh, to try to make the game better. And adding in arenas is epic. Yep. Like It's so big that I think that it demands this sort of attention in the first half of this season. Next piece of news comes from a developer on Reddit. They made a comment about SBMM in arenas in response to being asked if there's a high number of low-level players in arenas. Uh, the response was, overall, the fairness of the game is pretty even. We understand it's a bit tiring when level disparity is high in your team composition. It will improve. You know, we've had a lot of people kind of come to us talking about SBMM and arenas particularly, and it seems to be that there's a little bit of something, but it's nothing major. And I think that might just come down to the player base right now of arenas in general, just not being as large as the BRs. But good to see that maybe there is something that they can at least look to improve. Yeah, arenas is so interesting because we believe they're using a different matchmaking system than in the BR. It's completely different. Mm-hmm. But even in ranked, it you can sometimes feel this... Uh, inner team level disparity if you're queuing solo or queuing mm-hmm. with a partner that third teammate can sometimes be very very underwhelming but you're going against you know three stacks that are you know all yeah. on comms and probably a high level with too many kills that's really frustrating that gets amplified in an arena situation when you're fighting repeatedly yeah and so really this is gonna no matter how good the skill-based matchmaking is this is always gonna be a problem mm-hmm. and the answer to it is the same as it is in ranked. Get some teammates, get in the Discord, and get together because yep. that's really going to make it more enjoyable long term. Yeah, definitely. Next piece of news the penalty for leaving arenas that we mentioned in the news last week has been disabled temporarily uh, because players were getting abandonment penalties at improper times. Hopefully, we see this uh, come back into the game soon because we were pretty excited to have. Uh, this implemented into the pubs version of arenas, which was something quite new. Yeah, it really is. And hopefully it comes back and it's uh, successful mm-hmm. in protecting the game's integrity. Last piece of news, just covering a tweet from Ryan Rigney, uh, employee over at EA, stating that the next month for Apex is going to be a bit of a dry spell content release wise. But when 9.1 drops at the end of June, going to be some good stuff to chew on. You know, guys, how we feel about mid-season drops. You know, you either get a lot or a little. Hopefully we get uh, the former. It's always going to be interesting to see what that mid-season update is. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to it. And I always, I don't mind the the dry spells. You know, I enjoy the game as it is. Whenever there's an update, I feel like I have to adjust. I have to learn a lot. And in these kind of periods where we're a third into the season or so, I can just enjoy the game and have fun. And it's nice to have the open transparency and the communication from the team as well. So people aren't just begging for LTMs and stuff all the time, asking why there's no content. Like, it's out in the open. You got something to look forward to now. Enjoy the game like Henry does uh, for the time being. Okay, it's time. Time to welcome people into part two of our arenas guide. Man, this is going to be good, I hope. I hope people take away some information that they can at least implement into their gameplay. That's the goal here. Yeah, we certainly hope so. And I think we're just going to dive straight in to talk on maps. Yep. There's a total of five arenas maps. Um, and two of them were b- purpose built for mm-hmm. arenas, which I think is where we're going to spend the most of our time discussing. And then the other three are BR maps that we've all seen before. Yep. It's very interesting to see We'll talk about the BR maps after we talk about these arena-focused maps, but it was interesting because there were a lot of leaks and rumors kind of leading up to the introduction of arenas, like what is the map structure going to be? And we had comments from devs kind of come out about how, well, arenas came out a lot later than we were expecting because we decided to build these maps specifically for arenas instead. And so it's really interesting to see the difference between maybe what this mode would feel like and what it does feel like because of the two maps they essentially waited on before releasing the mode. Yeah, I believe Dave Ozai was really the point man on designing these maps, and he's the creator of Olympus, mm-hmm. and so it's definitely 
uh, an interesting decision that they made that I think made the mode feel so much more valuable and has been really enjoyable. Made it feel new. I think that's the that's the key thing. The first map that we're going to talk about today, though, is Phase Runner. It's going to be similar to other arena specific maps that we'll talk about later. The map has very specific lanes. On one side, you can play the phase runner from your team spawn. You run to that phase runner, you teleport in, you're crafting, the healing, and then kind of just a combat area on one side of the map. The other side of the map leads to a part of the phase runner that is still under construction. I don't think it's going to get its construction continued anytime soon. And that offers a bit more of a close quarter combat style feel over there. And then kind of just an important note, there's another kind of POI within this map. And it's on the phase runner side. There's a cliff area that when we get some of those center shrinks more so, that offers some really good high ground height and just uh, ability to control the space. What have been your thoughts maybe on the overall layout of the mode thus far in this map? I I really like the layout of this map. I think it allows you to be really creative. Um, Playing a lot of Valk, I kind of found out that you can actually get back through the phase runner yeah uh, which has been actually helpful in some situations um, but i think that's a kind of a fun thing to play with um, but i think you you nailed it really i think i always keep in mind that little rock raised cliff mm-hmm, area that's mm-hmm. on the uh, phase runner side um, i think that's really the game winning location for all center strengths and uh, it makes a difference yeah i mean even if the zone is shrinking on the other edge and we decide to go phase runner side to collect the materials and the heels, we still kind of post up on that cliff even knowing we're going to have to make a move out because it gives us really good cover and sight lines for at least a minute and a half of the zone to kind of poke some damage and take heels off. It's a pretty common spot that we've been uh, fighting from thus far in our arena's gameplay. Yeah. Let's talk a couple phase runner specific strategies though. Uh, the first of which being a grenade strategy. There's kind of some grenade strategies on a lot of these maps, and so we're going to go one by one. On this map, we like to say you can load up on some nades as a squad, one to two each. You push that phase runner as fast as possible. Use the abilities, even if you like want to. You can use the lower bracelet, use the grapple. You come through the portal, immediately throw those sky nades, throw your grenades immediately if you do to the other side. Yes, you know, if the team doesn't decide to go through phase runner, you're wasting those nades potentially. But if the other team does go through the other side, they're going to take massive damage. You might rattle off a knock or two and just set up for a real aggressive round push. And we've uh, experienced uh, both sides of this being overwhelmed and immediately feeling like we've just uh, lost a round entirely. Uh, and overwhelmed people and immediately won rounds as well. It's a financial thing that you need to take into account, but early rounds, I've seen some people show huge success with this strategy. Yeah, and we'll talk more about this later on when we get really into strategy, but those early rounds are so important, and trying to figure out your strategy for those, those are the easiest rounds to win. Mm -hmm. Like You have the least amount of materials and weapons and abilities but your enemies have the least amount of armor Mm -hmm. so if you can get a nade to connect they only have 75 health Mm -hmm. so you can really capitalize on that in the early game another kind of important map strategy here is this map just tends to have a lot of really long sight lines and in turn you get a lot of really long range engagements this leads to one of henry and i's favorite strategies i think and the poking strategy and being effective at doing so, you really should work on a, in arenas maximizing like what we like to call the head glitches. The map has a lot of bins, rocks, walls, containers that if you can position yourself, you know, right behind and shoot over, you make yourself a very small target. You got a lot of great visibility. In arenas in general, you want to preserve as much health as possible. When you're fighting people, reserve all those shields that you can. And this map leads to a lot of those G7 fights where you're trying to take off more shields than the other team. Try and set up yourself for an easy push. Make sure you're working on where can I run some head glitches to do it at the best pace possible. Yeah, you want to stay on the on the edges. Mm-hmm. Like going straight down the middle is so risky. And if there is a team on one of the edges, you're at a disadvantage because you're in the low ground. 
and I'll make a little comment on it just because I know we uh, saw some people talking about the discord and it was going a little viral. There's like the Valk Loba path strategy where you can, you know, you go through the phase runner and then you go to the enemy's phase runner and you go through that one. And I just got to tell you guys, they can hear you. They're going to know you're behind. It's not a great flank option. It looks great on a cliff. It's fun. When 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 it's fun and looks good, but it's not something I think you'll uh, hear the two of us recommending to say the least. Yeah. The phase runner is so interesting because you're right. It's so loud that you can hear, okay, are we alone on the other side mm-hmm. or did we just connect with other people? So that's a really interesting mechanic to weigh sort of having a radar mm-hmm. with the phase runner. Yeah. It's a nice little uh, POI that you can uh, hear some stuff from and gain information, which is what arenas is all about, gaining that information and communicating it. Okay. The next unique arenas map is Party Crashers. An old favorite of ours is on the ground, Mirage Voyage, uh, and that is on the, well, I guess I always refer to them with directions, which makes absolutely zero sense, and I got to get better at that. But the Mirage Voyage side of the map uh, tends to lead to two teams taking the opposing roofs, trading shots, you know, you have your meds sprawled out to the side, leads to the interesting play of do you push two people there? Do you send the Pathfinder there? Is it a risk worth taking? The other side of the map is then made up of two-story buildings that have just tons of entry points, zip lines, lots of interesting cover. I know that we end up playing the Mirage Voyage side more often now, but when this map first came out, we were loving the other side of the map, just having the unique yeah. buildings. Like It was a really good time over there. Yeah, I think that I enjoy both sides a lot. I think they both play uh, quite fair. Um, I will say that securing the meds on the ship side is a lot more doable um Mm -hmm. like mid game you have so much cover there with the fountain and the arch and even if they're on the ship they have a little bit of high ground there's a lot of cover so it's usually worth taking those meds even if it's not super early yeah yeah we're gonna we'll get into the med strategy we talk about later but sneak peek we we like to get the meds and the crafting it's a it's a good strategy in general some party crasher specific strategies though you take that top of the roof on the Mirage Voyage side of the map with the whole team taking a gun like the G7. You can put your squad in a real dominant position for those long ranger pick fights. If the opposing team then rotates to the other side of the map, you can actually take both roofs and pick people off when that zone is shrinking your way. I think people hesitate to spread out when they know that people, the other, the other teams on the other side of the map on this map, specifically in this side, you can easily spread to those two roofs because you want to make it difficult for them to then rotate in and take a roof, which becomes a lot easier if you're just staying on one side picking people off. But this fight, it has so many long ranges of sights. I know you've been loving it with that H7. Yeah, it. I definitely like this map probably the most. It's my favorite map. Mm-hmm. Um, I really think that playing Valk on a map like this where you can bounce in between the roofs on the ship Mm -hmm. is so valuable. Like other mobility legends can do it, but she can do it pretty fast and for free all the time. And being able to secure both sides if the other team uh, went to the building side, that's just a serious power position where you can deny the ring. Easily. And if someone comes onto the opposite side or you need to knock people off the counter, that is pretty simply sky nades. Very difficult to do very hard but you can deal out a lot of damage quickly push opposing roofs uh, and hopefully play on top of them you know some some people might want to buy a gibby bombardment just to do so making sure that you're dominating the roofs on the mirage voyage side of the map is going to be very helpful to success Uh, and we also tend to send one person to the heels when playing mirage voyage uh, but that is kind of dependent on just how the other teams lining up and how the grenades go when we're uh, sending them over the top on the roof. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one thing that definitely caught me by surprise early on was that on the back of the ship, you can actually climb up onto the roof. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which is something that you should definitely take advantage of, um, b- but certainly be aware of. And so even if, you know, you don't have any aids or you don't have some sort of area of effect ultimate, um, you can come at those roofs at a variety of 
angles. And, and so don't be discouraged if they do have that high ground from you. You can take it quite easily mm-hmm. or just play under it and kind of wait it out. Mm-hmm. When you are playing these arena specific maps you just kind of play them a lot you got to learn those climbing patterns there's a lot of really interesting random things you can find you got to find the quickest path to get to from point a of your spawn to where you want to take position of doing something the same repeatedly and knowing all the options where you can attack and be attacked from uh, is going to really increase your success on a, a map like this but let's talk about the br maps that are now in arenas we have three of them artillery thermal station and gardens what have been your thoughts on the third map that's kind of been in rotation incorporated in that style of play yeah i like them i like them a lot i Mm -hmm. think i want more i want more maps i want more rotations um yeah so i really enjoy them i like the familiarness of having the br maps and be able to kind of understand where the line of sights are where i can have an advantage how i can maneuver around uh, the fastest route um but to just go briefly kind of one by one or these maps artillery um this one was quite familiar Uh, it was a very very popular job back in the early days of apex on king's canyon Uh, but for the most part this is a longer ranged map this is probably the most long-range engagement style map of all of them that we've played so far it's crazy and there's a high side which is kind of based around the the now broken wall that goes Mm -hmm. to the crash ship um that's the high side and the low side um the low side is very very difficult um just for the fact that it has some really tough angles and you can't really protect it it is not high ground and so you can get sniped pretty easily and controlling the inside of the buildings is hard because defensive legends really can't get it done mm-hmm. and they're so boxy and open. It's a hard place to fight. We definitely uh, try to avoid showcasing our disappointment when the zone goes to the low <laughs> side. It's it's not our uh, forte, at least to say the least. I think we dominate that high side. There's yeah. a lot of great strategies in doing so, getting to that zip line as fast as possible, taking the height, taking the priority is going to be really important there. Yeah, on the high side, if you can zip up and deny them that side and just sit on that zip, mm-hmm. uh, that is a winning strategy. Um, I also think the lifeline is probably one of the strongest on this map, um, even though she can't really take the height super fast. But given the long range nature, she has a high, high chance of not only getting the res off, but also using that tactical yep. to full effect. The last thing I'll add just as a little bonus strategy is on the high side, um, you can actually get away with securing the meds um, a high percentage of times. Like you can Mm -hmm. sprint, just stay on the ground and then go into the back of the high side and go up the stairs. And if your teammates are doing the same thing, but using the zip lines, you can get the meds and get the high ground pretty low risk like people are aren't looking scared. down yeah people people tend to not look down and you tend to draw their attention when you're up top and so if you got anyone that has a little bit of speed or just in general a willingness to take the slight risk you can snag those pretty confidently i like it no doubt next we have thermal station this is so so opposite of artillery it's very condensed there's two buildings on the entire map it's likely going to shrink on one of them it's also shaped like a circle and so that allows so for weird. some really interesting gameplay in terms of kind of teams dancing around mm-hmm. kind of circling each other it's like um, the most interesting way to think about it is like you go right the other team goes right yeah everyone's got their mats and their heels now and they're fully you're fully reset on these yeah. other maps you're coming at each other in a different angle through different lanes yeah. on thermal it's like the exact same thing, essentially. Yeah. Very interesting. It's the obstacle in the middle that really makes this into a donut map. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. in others, yes, you can both go right and kind of have materials and have a good, clean fight. But uh, on thermal, it's a little bit different. And it's so, so condensed. Um, the lava is also an exciting element <laughs> here, um, just because it definitely changes things up. I think in a fast-paced game like Arena's, uh, you're taking you're taking the lava damage yep. if it means getting and putting down damage faster. The big question on this map is do you rush for the buildings or not? Yeah, the center building. It's a it's very interesting predicament. Do you have an early inclination? 
I never go to the circle building mm-hmm. um, just because I'm too scared. It's got two entrances and I think it's very, very hard to hold even with the most defensive team comp. Mm-hmm. I do rush the circle building though. I think it has two stories. You can also play the roof mm-hmm. and it really is going to command most of the end circles. I think if you're going to play that center circular circular building, you need to full commit to it. Like you need to play at least Rampart and Watson and be willing to spend money on the Watson ult to be able to get rid of nades because you go in that center building and the other team has a couple nids, it's over. Like you killed yourself by doing so essentially. And so if you're going to commit to that strategy, you got a full commit to it and recognize that it's going to be hard for you to potentially win as many rounds as you need to running the same strategy each and every time. Yeah. I, I mean, if you're squatting up with me, I'm really not going to do that. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to play the center uh, building. But if you're playing either of the two buildings, you have to really be careful that you don't get trapped by the ring because you can feel super secure, super safe mm-hmm. with Watson or whatever. But that high ground protection can very quickly turn into you getting sandwiched between the ring and the enemy mm-hmm. who's just sitting on the door watching you burn ready to destroy if it does shrink on that other side though on that vertical platform we love pushing that as fast as possible and taking that oh yeah very great lines of sights to control that area easiest one for sure finally we have gardens new this week very exciting a little fresh spin on arenas um this is the most familiar map to any player Mm -hmm. it's pretty clear it's the most recent map in the game in terms of a br um and incredibly popular drop spot too yeah it's kind of a hot drop shay and i don't really like it just because the fights in br are a little bit hectic and the loot isn't fantastic um but this is where most people would feel the most comfortable coming Mm -hmm. into arenas i think this is buildings galore it's crazy and that means grenades Mm -hmm. lots of grenades um one thing that's really nice about this map is that it's very straightforward where you need to go, Mm -hmm. in my opinion. I think you always go to the high side, so you play the building that's in the ring. If it's a center shrink, you play the higher side. Getting the final building and just going there immediately is the winning strategy Mm -hmm. without a doubt. So it's it's very cut and dry in my eyes. I think it's such an interesting map. You do have to take certain uh, decisions in mind between do I grab the crafting, which is going to be far below and fight up against the high ground. I've played uh, a couple games, and so far I've noticed that you either have the teams going towards the height and taking the high ground, or you can usually double craft if you want to and take all of the materials. I think we'll learn more about as we go on, but I would probably lean towards getting those early dubs and dominating the height unless you're going to play a team comp that really maybe puts you in a position to push that height effectively if you're going like Horizon and Pathfinder and kind of being able to do some crazy stuff but still early with this map yet to be seen and really excited to kind of see how it plays out because we don't play a ton of gardens honestly yeah i agree with your sentiment that it is hard to play eco on this map specifically Mm -hmm. you want to just be going for the quick wins it's a really tight map i think that it's a lot shorter range than others in terms of having long lines of sight yeah you're going to be taking height and so there is a little bit of sniping because there's so many buildings and it's going to shrink on buildings, this is a close range map. Mm-hmm. Shotguns, SMGs, LMGs, that's really going to dominate this, which you may not have expected. Yeah, you're not going to get into many fights where you're shooting across the entirety of gardens. And even if you do, between the underground areas and the buildings on the sides, people can move from cover to cover incredibly easily. And so you don't get into the long range poke fights that are very prominent in most of the other maps honestly yeah other thoughts just about maps in general we're not going into you know exactly which routes what Mm -hmm. strategies you're going to do just because there's a lot of legends and a lot of different team compositions and they're all different and so there's a lot of great videos on some cool Mm -hmm. grapple locations nice loba angles um, different places to hold set up fences we can't go into every single one of them but they're out there and i definitely recommend checking them out yeah we'll put some links to some videos that we've watched in the description of the show if you want to no coco did a great one on the pathfinder grapples and such 
But yeah, Henry said it well. And we're a podcast, you know, we try and use our words as descriptively as possible, but we aren't video. If you really want to see the arena strategies, just come on by the stream if we're playing arenas and you kind of want to see uh, what goes into that. But before we get into talking weapons and the remaining tips and tricks for arenas, here's our word from our sponsor, Liquid Death. Listener, that is not the sound of a soda, energy drink, or beer, but the sound of a refreshing can of water. How does it taste, Shay? Tastes good. Tastes like I'm drinking water straight from the Austrian Alps, fresh and pure. I think that Liquid Death for gamers is an incredible option for them looking to enhance their focus and maintain energy by staying hydrated. I am unfortunately addicted to soda, and now that we have Liquid Death as a partner, A, it sounds awesome, and B, it's a can, so I can't tell the difference. I certainly drink a lot of water between the two of us, on and off stream. With the can's gold accents and crisp design, I now get to drink it in style. But why is this water called Liquid Death? Let me tell you. It's because it will brutally murder your thirst and their infinitely recyclable tall boy cans are helping to bring death to plastic bottles everywhere. Also, they donate 10% of profits from every can sold to help kill plastic pollution. It really blows me away that plastic isn't actually recyclable anymore and how most plastic you throw in a recycling bin actually just gets sent to a landfill because it's not profitable to recycle. Aluminum is infinitely recyclable and actually profitable for recycling facilities. We are super excited to be partnering with a brand that is conscientious of the environment and with our help wants to encourage sustainable purchases for your health and the planet. So go to liquiddeath.com and get a koozie two-pack, $8 value on us when you purchase a 12-pack and use the code THIRDPARTY at checkout. You can also find Liquid Death nationwide at 7-Eleven and Whole Foods. Get out there and murder your thirst third partiers. Welcome back. Now to get into weapons and arenas. Man, weapon strategy is interesting in arenas. You know, every day we hear the new opinion on why this gun is the best buy in arenas and the new meta. We talk all day, every day between the two of us on why there are statistical benefits to using certain weapons over others. If it comes down to the end though, can you hit your shots? That's like the big, big question and statement we need to kind of focus on yeah. for arenas. What gun are you most confident in? We're talking about a mode that emphasizes one chance to fight, essentially. You're getting into one fight. And so, yes, the gun, like we're going to talk about in a second, the L-Star. The L-Star can be a very effective gun for some people. I also know a lot of people, including myself, that struggle to control the recoil and the very good benefits of the L-Star. Same kind of thing with the R9. Very effective gun, but if you can't hit your shots, you guys are going to struggle to use those guns and get the wins that I think you're hoping for. Yeah, the the weapons conversations are so subjective, but I think you nailed it and that you have to hit your shots. We will be actually breaking down the L-Star and the charge rifle on this week's bonus Patreon episode mm -hmm. just based on popular demand. We ran a poll that's what they selected. So we're doing a full breakdown of those weapons and those strengths and weaknesses, how to get the most out of them. Um, but yeah, there's definitely some early favorites. The questions that I think you have to ask yourself on top of can you hit your shots with what weapon is first off, your legend and play style, medium or close range. Mm -hmm. And this is not just a hitbox conversation. I think the clearest example of this, and we don't need to dive too deep into it because we went through all the legends last week. So if you want to know everything, but like the best example of how to kind of showcase this is if you're going to play longer range and use the G7 and use a sniper if you want to, Gibraltar having the gun shield just going to fit perfectly into that play. If you want to be up close and personal, someone like Pathfinder is going to let you close the gap on people and get into people's faces as fast as possible. I think those are two of like the most showcasing examples. And then there's a lot of in between and a lot of people that do very different things as well. Yeah, I think you definitely have to match your weapon choice with your legend. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people may not connect with that enough in that there are far superior weapons in the hands of certain legends. Yeah, and Rampart. you need to lean into it. <laughs> yeah, Rampart's an extreme situation. But if you're into shotguns, do not try to put, you know, 
caustic as a shotgunner. Mm -hmm. As much as in a perfect world, people come into the gas and you one pump them. That's not the actual playstyle that you're working with. So you have to be careful with uh, kind of the combo you choose. Yes. Other questions. What's the most efficient DPS to accuracy to materials cost ratio? There's a lot of charts out Mm -hmm. there. There's a lot of videos out there about the economy of arenas. Um, But this is definitely a decision that you have to weigh. And we're going to go into it as close as we can with some examples. But it's so hard to tell you this is the strategy. Yes. For the first question, and that it really depends on your legend. But number two, every round, every game is going to be slightly different as Mm -hmm. to what map you're playing on, what your needs are, and how many materials you have. And so that's really going to impact your decision. Yeah, you you kind of mentioned it, and I like to expand upon it. Adjustments between rounds is going to be such an interesting piece for not just you as the player to think about, but your team. You know, when we go into a long-range kind of fight, everyone kind of needs to commit to that. You're not going to be as effective if your team is running one sniper and then two people are kind of sitting next to the sniper with smgs waiting to go in there needs to be this communication to figure out what's the most effective way we can work as a team and you know use our mats accordingly yeah i think that another question is do you spend the premium to upgrade to purple and it's a fun one the other side of that question would be do you prioritize purple or do you prioritize two upgraded weapons and i think that's a tough one um it, what are your thoughts on it you know it's a it's one i'm still battling with all the time and um, we're going to go through our examples and i tend to have a two weapon example i also like i also think it's entirely appropriate to max one gun and say that's kind of the way to do it i think that a lot of this is going to come down to a game by game basis is your team playing eco and collecting mats? If you're putting yourself in the position to do that, you're going to be able to maybe play that two-weapon play style if you want to. On the other side, if you aren't prioritizing that and you're playing maybe a little bit slower and kind of not putting an effort to push materials, you're not going to have the ability to spend up for two guns. And then just the purple question in general, it's a cop-out answer, but for me, it's like a gun-by-gun thing. I think there's a much bigger advantage to going purple R301 and getting the anvil on that versus going purple bow and getting the sight and the extra hop-up, which might not make a difference on a game-by-game basis for the cost. So that's kind of a tough answer, but what about you? I feel you. I mean, it can definitely be tough to... uh to try to hold back from going all the way to purple. Yeah. But I think that in an ideal world, yeah, always go for purple because you're going to be playing tight with your team. Mm -hmm. And if you're playing tight, then having one weapon and everybody's shooting at the same target, that's going to get the job done. Mm -hmm. But I have to, in my personal strategy, go for two weapons that I feel comfortable with because the swap is everything. And we'll talk about that again. But if you are in those disadvantaged situations where you lost a teammate or in your 1v1, having two upgraded weapons is going to make the difference. If you have a Volt and the other person has a P2020 as their secondary, you got good odds. And so I go for the two weapons, but it's definitely one of the last questions you should ask yourself. And it's going to also come back to the first question. What legend are you playing? Does it fit into that play style as well? There's so many variables, which is what makes this guide so fun, yet so hard for us to kind of break down for you guys. Yeah. So now we're going to go through a little bit of our like couple round examples mm-hmm. of what we are leaning towards in terms of loadouts. Personal preference. Yeah. I can say that my mains in arenas are Gibraltar, Valk, and Bloodhound. And so all of those I see as very medium range. Mm-hmm. I'm a medium range player. And so that makes sense to me. Um, first one's going to be the G7 and I opt for the P2020. P2020 is the kind of longer range free secondary as opposed to the Mozambique. I also think the alternator is a really nice choice. Mm -hmm. Um, if you're playing, um, maybe Valk or Bloodhound and you're going to be getting up close, has a really good accuracy score DPS for the price. Couple that with the P20 as well. And then the L-Star. I think it's worked for me as an early round buy. I coupled that with the P2020. You're getting in close. Later rounds, I love the G7 still. 
because mm-hmm. you can upgrade to level one, get the mag, go up to 15 shots in a clip, get the bruiser on there, which is a godsend, and then I'll get the Spitfire. Upgrade it as high as possible. Blue is plenty, and then get two bats, at least, in the later rounds. I'll also double down on the L-Star and upgrade the RE-45 as a really fast swap to finish off some kills. Mm -hmm. And then finally, if I'm running my Bloodhound strategy where I just buy the ultimate every other round, um, I'll do the alternator and P-2020. You don't really have the materials to do much, but getting the bathing in the blue Mm -hmm. is a really fun strategy. And just with those weapons, you can really dish it out. Totally. Yeah. So for me, the legend choice, I've been playing predominantly Pathfinder and arenas for the grapples and trying to get the crazy stuff, which I'm still by no means a pro at. And I also mix in some Bloodhound. So I'm a bit more potentially on the other side of HB in that I am a bit more in the closer range engage style. But I also think that Pathfinder specifically plays into a great versatility of being able to close that gap quickly so you can play a little bit of both. For me, round one, round two, I'm loving the RE45. And then I don't have a huge preference between the P20 and the Mozam, which is something that will go through all my options. I think for me, it's just whatever one I'm feeling better with on the day, which is a pretty tough answer. And a lot of times it's P2020. But if I feel like I'm playing with an aggressive team, I like to go Mozam if I'm in really up close engaged fights a lot of the time. Then I'm also with Henry though, G7, very great buy just from a cost perspective if I am playing in a bit longer range style of engagement. And I also like to mix in the wingman here and there. I think it's a great gun and just that it's versatile for long and close range, which plays into Pathfinder very well. I do that for the first two rounds. Round three, to kind of focus on having some good eco, I normally go one gun at this point and I'll play with the blue sometimes purple if we're having a really aggressive eco game uh r301 and that way i can i feel confident using that gun in multiple ranges as well and that versatility that it offers and then i'm also looking at bats and nades in that round once i get into a really strong eco place i like to rest the game play with the blue bow and a maxed re45 and lots of bats and nades i don't know if this strategy is for everyone i think it comes down to what we were saying at the very beginning it's what guns are you confident and comfortable with? I absolutely adore the bow and the RE45, and I feel like I am incredibly effective with those guns. And so I think it's a great strategy for me. I think for some other people, it might be the 3030 and the Volt or the 3030 and the 9 or the G7. You know, like I think that's the hard part. It comes down to that. But I tend to do a marksman rifle plus the max RE45 as my big money spend rounds. The RE45 is not bad. It gives you a lot of advantages in terms of speed and DPS mm-hmm. and just having a very forgiving reload. Um, it's a really good option, but it does require you hit your shots, totally. as many other guns do. Weapons that don't require you to hit your shots would be the Spitfire. Yes, and Spitfire is always a great option. Hard to to go against it. You know, we'll post a clip on Instagram with the Spitfire and people, you know, dislike mm-hmm. and boo. Um if the enemy is going to be using it because it's the most effective weapon, you pretty much have no choice. It never stops firing. Mm-hmm. So in in a game mode that's right now based around streaks and winning consecutively, I say double down on the Spitfire with no shame. Mm-hmm. In terms of the Mozambique, I think that most people like the Mozambique over. It's kind of the favorite. People think the P20 needs a buff potentially. Mm-hmm. Um, I lean towards the Mozambique when you have a smaller hitbox, when you're in the close range, Mm -hmm. Wraith, Octane, Lifeline, of course. Um, And so it's a great option there. And a lot of people will even upgrade it. Like it's kind of a crazy strategy. people throw the bolt on it, yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, the last thought on the Mozan before we go on is just that that's another gun you got to be comfortable with. A little bit tougher to control. Do you full auto it? Just We've been asked about it a couple times on Discord, so I figured we'd put it out there. No, I don't. Yeah, me, I feel me neither. like you want to place every single shot based on the spray. I don't think you should just hold down the pr- trigger and, and crouch back. You got to be in their eyes, like we yeah. say, uh, for some of those close range. It's a full out of that one. A couple other notable gun strategies to kind of talk about just because they are very popular in the arena's meta. I can say pretty confidently we don't do either of these two personally, but that charge rifle 
sniper style, longbow, sentinel. You know, if you want to play long range eco and you're really confident in your sniper gameplay and playing extremely long range, go for it and just use the strategy of trying to decrease the shields. There's yeah. other options that Henry and I would personally prefer, but I know a lot of people absolutely live or die by the charge rifle in arenas. Yeah, it's very interesting playing that long range, trying to wean down the enemy's uh, meds and their supplies. Mm-hmm. Um, I personally lean towards the marksman. I think that you do too, G7 yep. and bow. A lot of people love the 30-30. I've had some success with it as well. It's coming around for me right now. You're going to be more versatile with a marksman than you are something like the Sentinel or the Longbow even. just There's more opportunity to fire faster, probably have a better sight on it that's more versatile and closer ranges. So even though you can get punished by some big Sentinel shots mm-hmm. or some charge rifle you know, annoyance, I still... For consistency's sake, go for the marksman. Yeah, like it, I think of the situation of okay, party crashers where I go one side and the other team goes the other side. Awesome. If you're going sniper strategy, huge advantage there. You'll probably pick someone off as they're trying to rotate into you. That's such a small instance of when it's productive, though, yeah. to say like I'm going to consistently use this strategy. The other thing, shotguns uh, for very aggressive team comps. We see a lot of people gravitating towards. The EVA and the PK, even as early round buys as well. If you're going into this strategy, though, you just got to lean into it. Be aggressive from the get-go. Can be very rewarding and can also backfire pretty quickly on you. But we see people taking aggressive octane pads early on at people, uh, popping smokes to cover the ground and advancing as fast as possible to get in the face with a shotgun. Yeah, I mean, this is a high skill and high risk strategy. And yeah. So it's not in our main recommendation, but hitting those PK shots for over a hundred, hard to hard to fight against that. If you're on doing the other side. it, you're screwed. Like the if if you are going to murder people or you're going to get murdered if you are taking one tens from the PK right now. <laughs> yeah. And just on the other side, one thing that I think is important with weapons is You have one round, say you just get destroyed by the peacekeeper or maybe the wingman. Mm -hmm. That does not mean the next round you should buy the wingman. Thank goodness you said that. It's so important that you don't take that loss and say, all right, the only way I'm going to beat them Mm -hmm. is if I do what they're doing better. Better. Absolutely wrong. And you have to fight yourself internally Mm -hmm. on that because if you know somebody is going to use the peacekeeper or the R9 or the wingman, There are weapons that can absolutely destroy them in a 1v1 if you control the situation. If you Mm -hmm. take high ground, you destroy their armor from a little bit of range, use the Spitfire in any situation, you don't have to just copy your enemy when things don't go your way. No, no. That's awesome. I'm so glad you put that in there. We definitely... uh... That should have been written into the dock rather than off top of your head. It can be hard to fight that. It's a, it's just a good thing, especially for new players, which I think we're getting a lot of new people coming into the game right now with the popularity yeah. and arenas being a new mode. It's very easy to say, wow, that gun just killed me so quickly and yeah. overwhelmingly, which is what yeah. the PK and wingman can do to you. But it's hard to do those. Next kind of weapon thing is... The weapon swaps. Mentioned it earlier, but it's time to dive a little bit deeper. It is absolutely necessary. It is Mm -hmm. the superior tactic in any 1v1, close-up, straight fight. You have to swap, even if it's just for the P20 or Mm -hmm. the Mozam. Like, this is the difference. We've said it about BR in general for a long time now, especially with having two weapons without a doubt in that mode. Even in arenas, though, it's going to give you such a great advantage based off specifically, like, I like the example of the Spitfire, you know? If you go Spitfire, your reload time, you know, could be a little tough. You're going to be a lot more effective with a swap to something else versus waiting for your gun to reload and then trying to fire another clip into somebody. It's just arenas is a closer range engagement in the end game, unless you're wiping people really early, you know, you're getting some knocks at range. That's a different story. But if the ring's shrinking, this is a close range thing. You need to swap weapons. 
And the P2020 is a very good weapon. Mm -hmm. The Mozambique is a very good weapon. This season, these are reliable. You can actually use them. You can actually get kills with them. And to be completely honest, it's the only way. If you're not swapping, your enemy likely is, and you're taking the end. Yeah, if you feel like, whoa, why did I die while I was, you know, waiting to do something, I guarantee if you look in that death recap, you're going to see, you know, 30 P2020 damage. And that makes all the difference in this game. Let's wrap it up though now, and let's talk strategies for arenas. Just some overarching keys to success. Number one, stay together, play as a team with the highest level of communication that you can. It's, it's, you know, we've said it already before on part one and part two. The reason that it's in this and we're saying it again, it's by far the most important thing in Apex Legends, in BR, and now in arenas. Communication is going to continue to equal wins. This game is incredibly team-oriented. Really play into it and try to maximize it. Do whatever you can to find teammates and talk as much as possible. Yeah, and if you are with randoms, I pretty much recommend sticking with them. You know, even if it's Mm -hmm. maybe frustrating, they're maybe a little slower than you or they're going the wrong way, it's better to stick with them. Like, use them as a body bag. You cannot go into a two-on-three because you're frustrated with your random. So no matter what, we really, that's number one, stay together. And I'm throwing the same caveat I do off of all of these when we said, just in case, hey, if you're a top 500 pred and you can take 1v3s and you're a god, DM us, let's play together, maybe have you on the show. This might not apply to you particularly. <laughs> yeah, plug your ears for this couple minutes. <laughs> um, also, so number two, Always try to secure the crafting material. It's hard to quantify in your head how important this is. Yes. It is incredible. If you push for materials, that's 400. Mm -hmm. One kill is 75. If you wipe the whole team, that is not a lot of points, folks. Like playing for the actual crafting material is the way to go in order to upgrade your weapon. This is free. And we tend to play eco also. Mm -hmm. And so we like to grab the crafting earlier and still play eco round two and sometimes round three as well because creating a money advantage late into the game is going to be awesome. Having a straight up gun advantage over other people could make and break the difference between you winning or losing a round. Yeah, I mean, my buy strategies are so lean with the G7 just because it's a cheaper weapon. Mm-hmm. It doesn't need a lot of upgrades. I don't even max buy in the first round. I save 200. Yep. Like being able to get a leg up on materials allows you to get batteries when they count. It allows you to upgrade to purple if you want to, get two weapons upgraded, get grenades. You really mm-hmm. got to do this. So that's yep. number two. Number three, go for high ground in ring. It's pretty simple. It's a like, simple strategy, but just go so for true. high ground. Mm-hmm. You don't have to mess around. And I'd say go for high ground first. Like play for the materials, but make sure at least one person is staying close by and securing the high ground and covering the people that are playing for eco. Well, and the reason we talked about kind of team comps last week about, you know, loving a Pathfinder or a Loba or someone with the movement that can kind of search out and get you those meds is that. If they have that mobility, you have the risk and leeway of being able to get out of a sticky situation, which allows you at least two of your teammates to probably go secure that high ground and still be close enough by for you to help. So that's kind of, I think, the overarching thought we put into it and who you send to go maybe get those meds and crafting versus who controls that high ground. Totally. Next tip, do not peek. For no reason, if they have snipers. If they're annoying Mm -hmm. you with the charge rifle, just don't peek. The ring's going to come in and your meds are way more valuable than you getting a couple of shots on with your G7 or R3 or flatline. Like, just don't do it. Don't peek. It's not worth it in a 3v3 where if there's one knock, that's pretty much game over. It might not be as fun to stand behind the wall for a minute and a half because your team's rocking R3-1s and flatlines, but... We're here to tell you how to win, and once they have to move to you, 
or you close the gap on them, it doesn't matter, you know, if they have the same amount of health as you or meds, they're already using snipers. You're going to have an advantage once you close that gap much more than having to go into the fight with half a purple because you used all your meds and not having the ability to reheal and fight. Yeah. I love it when my enemies get the charge rifle mm-hmm. because I'm like, they just blew 700 on that. All I got to do is stay cool and I'm going to have a massive advantage when they come to me mm-hmm. because they don't have a second weapon. And the second weapon they do is not as good as my blue spitfire, mm-hmm. blue flatline, blue volt. Like, I'm okay when the enemy uses a sniper. It takes discipline, but you, you'll get very rewarded for doing so. Next, grenades. In all caps. In you all really caps, You gotta yes. play grenades. In a game mode like this, being able to get that extra damage, that extra even distraction to get people to move in an uncomfortable way, to get out of cover so you can knock them or get some shots on, incredibly valuable. Grenades, we talked about some of the strategies earlier on a map-per-map basis, but we slept on them in the first week we played arenas. Since then, I'm buying so many grenades in arenas, incredibly effective. Um, We know a couple people on our Discord that play Fuse because of grenades in arenas. Yeah, Don't know if I can recommend that strategy particularly, but that should kind of emphasize the importance of them and being able to buy them with any legend. Grenades are no joke. The next big tip is that early round wins equal wins yep like it's the easiest it's really where you should be focusing a lot practicing for the for the final rings or the final rounds and arenas Mm -hmm. is not really necessary both teams are fully kitted like it's you're really headbutting each other and the early rounds is where strategy can really make the difference team comp choice can make the difference and if you can get two up in the first two rounds that's a massive advantage, even if you didn't play eco. It's a huge just mentality thing, too. You know, you go up 2-0 and the other team might give up in the back of their heads. We're in the midst of the uh, NBA playoffs right now. Teams that go up 2-0 have a much higher success rate of winning the series versus others. I'm pretty sure that's going to ring true in Apex if we ever can get those statistics for arenas. There is just so many valuable things you get to do from even taking risks then in round three and four once you're up 2-0 if you were confident and able to take those early rounds. Strategies in order to take those early rounds are you can play super aggressive, you know, just fly at them, try to get an early knock. You can also play really, really conservative at range and just start dealing out damage. Take out those shield cells they may have, take out those few batteries that's going to leave them pretty exposed. Mm -hmm. And you can really wrap up a fight if you're just better at the medium to long range. Like early on, that's a wrap. If you're in the camp that the L-Star is the best weapon, it's the most effective tactic available, you love it, play Rampart, Mm -hmm. for crying out loud. Get a massive advantage, and those amped covers early seriously make the difference when you can just put them down aggressively get the damage boost, get the protection, and just punish with the L-Star as a cheap early buy. Totally. I think the L-Star is such a polarizing weapon right now in arenas. And so if you want the full deep dive on the L-Star, check out the Patreon episode this week. Uh, But overall, if you're good with it, use it and use it with Rampart. I think that's the most basic strategy we can give that probably correlates to every single person listening to the podcast right now. Now, the last kind of question inside strategy is there's a care package in arenas. Mm -hmm. Do you go for it or not? Yeah. So I have some thoughts on this, and I think the simple answer is that it comes down to your team comp and positioning. Most teams that play for the care package drops, you need a pretty aggressive style of play. Getting to the drop location and securing that area so that it's safe to grab the weapon is vital. And what I think Further clarification of what I mean by that is if you go Mirage Voyage side and the care package drops on that side and you're able to secure both roofs because the team went to the other side, those are the rounds we find ourselves utilizing the care package because we can 100% guarantee it's safe. If the other team made a mistake. If the other team made a mistake. (laughs) Essentially, yeah. We just don't find ourselves playing for those drops personally and more so just use it if we take that side and know the other team's not going to be an immediate threat. As the game progresses, though, and you see the guns like the Prowler in the care package, 
the desire might increase as we start to get into game-changing guns. If so, and you really want to emphasize getting it, play someone maybe like Bangalore who could really smoke out the package and give your team a huge advantage. It's not going to be those speed legends because the care package comes in late. And so you need someone that can disrupt and distract mid-game if you're really trying to utilize the care package as a strategy. Yeah. Smokes, mirage. Gas, maybe. Gas, yeah. Different things, bubbles, of course. But overall, not really a huge part of Henry and I's strategy right now in Arena. Yeah, I kind of think about, is the care package your first move, second move, if it's convenient, or never? Mm -hmm. And for the most part, I go never. Just because in the early rounds, I'm not going to base any of my decisions off of it. Yep. And in the later rounds, I don't really want to risk it. Most of my games are pretty close, and I feel confident with the weapons that I buy. Unless, like you said, there is a gold devotion in there. Mm -hmm. That's going to make the difference, and it can be worth keeping an eye on the later rounds, what's going to happen. Is it worth giving up the high ground? Probably no, Mm -mm. because you're going to have fully kitted weapons by then anyway. But it's something to look at because those care package weapons, round seven, eight, nine, are just really, really powerful. Yeah, you got to keep your eye on it, but it's hard to, because the guns are randomized, say it's a consistent part of your strategy as an individual or a team. Would you say the care package motivates you to play Loba? Ah, uh, You know, personally, not for me. And that just stems from the idea that I have to choose Loba before I go into the game. And before I go into the game, I don't know what guns are going to be in the care package. If I knew, if I could switch legends between rounds, then yeah, you probably see me switching the Lobas when I saw the Prowlers in the care package to secure that potentially. But also the cost of doing so with that ultimate is another thing you would have to keep in mind. I think the cost of the ultimate is a no-brainer. It's mm-hmm. 200 It's got unlimited range. You can get it done. But I think, like your answer, I want all my games to be done in three mm-hmm. or four. And by round four, the care package is not relevant. Mm-hmm. And so it's hard for me to say, all right, Loba's going to be the move every time because of her later round arena's yep. strength. Mm-hmm. It's hard for me to prepare for that. So it means you're accounting for losing. Yeah. And I want to win those first rounds. And I think there's better legends to do so um, in the early rounds. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. But that's going to pretty much wrap up part two of our arena's guide. If you haven't heard part one, listen back to last week's episode and you'll get the full picture where we talked all the legends. Overall, just thoughts on arenas maybe right now. Are you happy that it's in the game? Are you excited about the thought and strategy that goes into it? What are your, what's your first thoughts? I like it a lot. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm kind of disappointed that not everybody is in love with it. Mm-hmm. I am happy that people are satisfied with the BR. They're still enjoying it even with this, you know, shiny thing. Yeah. But I like having another game mode that plays the competitive side of me. You have the streaks. You can be ranked. Or, you know, go for arenas. I like that option. I also just really enjoy that it's a great way to get real life practice with new legends, with new weapons. Like, without arenas, I would never pick up the bow in BR Mm -hmm. just because I wouldn't get enough reps with it. And so I like arenas a lot. I'm excited to see how it changes over time. I'm still going to be playing it occasionally, Mm -hmm. but I think just like our polls, I'm going to be leaning 70% to BR. Yeah, it's not the main mode for me, but I do think it's very enjoyable and I'm excited that it brings in a certain player base and offers something to those people in the game. I think the introduction of ranked arenas will be really exciting to see how that changes the competitive level in there, how it changes the skill base that people are kind of, you know, having some thoughts about right now. But if you are a person that struggles in team fights and struggles winning fights, there might not be a better way for you to practice because you're going to get into a, as many engagements as you can in the shortest amount of time, which I know is for a lot of people, the reason picking up Apex and BRs is hard because sometimes it'll take you 15 to 20 minutes to get one rep. You can get 9 to 18 reps in that same yeah. time frame playing arenas. Very important tool for the success. And I think just overall, 
really great to see Apex finding and putting fresh new modes into the game. Enough that we did two full episodes on it. That's right, Shay. Let's wrap it up, though, with a five-star question from Fat Dog. Why can't they install the double tap on the EVA 8 similar to the way they have the choke on the Peacekeeper? I miss the double tap specifically for the EVA, but I don't want another hop up in the game. I dropped 14 in Plat 2 with the EVA and G7 a couple seasons ago. Double tap, double double tapping, no lie. My highest <laughs> kill game. P.S. I'm loving my sweatshirt. Super comfortable. Can't wait for fall so I can wear it more often. Hey, I'm glad you're loving the merch and I'm glad you're loving the double double tapping life. I think it's a it's a fun hop up. Oh, man. Okay. Talking, we don't have it anymore. Talk. We don't have it anymore, no. I think this is something that Henry and I are, I'm not subtly at all plugging our interview coming up with David Bocek right now. We are so excited to talk hop-ups and the reasonings for something like the Peacekeeper getting theirs integrated and the Eva not because they're, they were the same rarity. And so it's yeah. really interesting to kind of see the potential reasons and offerings. Do you have any inclinations though? It's a really great question. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really is. I think about just how crowded the shotgun meta is right now, mm-hmm. and I feel like it's scary to be putting so much power into so many weapons in one class. Mm-hmm. Like, we lost the double tap on both sides for the marksman and the shotguns. We lost it in season eight because we were getting the new marksman in 3030, mm-hmm. wanted to give a little room take down the g7 maybe a little bit but the eva now is you know competing against the mastiff and the peacekeeper it's tricky so i like this question a lot i think i'd probably be okay if the little tap came back to the mm-hmm. game on the ground built in on one of them on both of them i'm open to it i i think that it's a really good question that we're gonna raise totally we're gonna raise it i think my only concern is is there is it too complex? Is it adding just a whole nother level of complexity to the game for new people to kind of have to start going through a lot of guns and trying to alternate fire mode and see if that's uh, a better way to play? It just adds another layer, which I don't think is bad I'm, at all, but I think maybe that could be a potential reason. I don't know. Everyone, thank you so much for listening. Subscribe on Apple Pods. Give us a follow on Spotify. Leave a five-star review with your question. We'll answer on our next episode. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Third Party Pod. Follow us on Twitch, Third Party Pod, and check out the Discord via the link in the description. Thank you so much for listening to the Third Party Podcast. Catch you next time. Peace. Hey now, another squad coming in. Boom, whole squad down. Maybe tomorrow.